This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Elizabeth II. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome to Rats Factory, viewing all the kings and queens of England from Alpha the Great to Elizabeth II. Who is it this week? It's, uh, it's still Elizabeth II, hey. part two of three. Okay. Last time we did from her birth up to and including the coronation this week. Uh, still biography, we're not going to be reviewing her, but we'll be looking at her year, early days as Queen to now. It's the Elizabethan age then. Exactly, the new Elizabethan age. New Elizabethan the first age, bullet yeah. point on my notes. Oh. <laughs> uh, we should also just say, we forgot to mention last time, because it's been so long since we have done this mm. after our break, that uh, you can of course get in touch with us on various social media. Uh, follow us on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us and say hello on the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook group, Facebook friendly. page, very friendly. Yeah. Email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. You can also, if you like, it's a free podcast, but if you want to uh, help us manage our costs and to help us grow as we're looking to do uh, Help us more pay stuff off our microphone. Year, pay off our microphone that we're currently looking into. Um, then you can do that on the website, rexfactor.podbean.com, where you can donate through PayPal, if you so wish. Thank you very much. Yeah, all thanks the people so that have been doing in the last few weeks. And specifically, thank you very much. Uh, I'm better, by the way. I'm in back. case last week wasn't quite clear. Yeah. I still, I'm missing a few teas, so the odd, uh, there's the odd whistle, so excuse me if that happens. But you should just stop whistling. That'll be uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> you can do it. I didn't know I could do that. Um, uh, for the tremendous card that you all um, wrote... To, for, to Graham to include in this, in this card it was actually a book in the end I posted it on Facebook but it was it was lovely and came at a very important time so that was really kind of you all thank you and thank you also quite a few people who've listened to the episode a bit later and so whose comments weren't included because I'd already done the book uh, by then but right. people still have been listening and sending in nice messages it's so thank you to all those people as well lovely. you're all lovely <laughs> as is of course Lilibet the Queen so as Ali has rather nicely alluded to a segue it's uh, it's was called at the time in the 1950s um, rationing was just about sort of coming to an end or the worst of the rationing that we'd had yeah still eight war. years after the war yeah and of course just as the uh, coronation was sort of on the verge we've got Edmund Hillary and uh, Sherpa Tenzing Norgay climbing Everest yes which yeah. um, technically of course that's a Sherpa and a New Zealander. Yeah, rather than a British Brit. Empire, though. Isn't it, it was. It was considered a bit more the achievements of the Commonwealth. <laughs> yeah, still on top of the world, there, Graham. <laughs> exactly. 
I think it may have been a British expedition. Oh, right. Churchill, of course, understands the historical significance of this moment. Famous have been the reigns of our queens. Some of the greatest periods in our history have unfolded under their sceptre. And that's what we have. Uh, Elizabeth, in her mid-twenties, five foot four, quite a dainty mm. queen, beautiful young woman, very popular at the time. She'd been long fated as this sort of hope, the next generation, which is a hard thing for us to get our heads around now. We used to her just as grandmother. Yeah, figure. that's definitely true. She is just mm. a very sort of maternal figure. Mm. Um, and she was hugely popular. I mean, she's very popular again now. It's maybe sort of almost gone a bit of a... Yeah, pendulum mm. swing on that bit but as Philip um, said looking back you won't remember this but in the first years of the Queen's reign the level of adulation you wouldn't believe it you really wouldn't it could have been corroding it could have been very easy to play to the gallery but I took a conscious decision not to do that safer not to be too popular you can't fall too far oh that's measured of him mm. that's really insightful and, and he made a very uh, positive action on not trying to be too popular <laughs> he's done he's been very well ever since isn't he? and in 1957 scripted by Philip in part mm. Elizabeth uh, had her first ever televised Christmas speech so she was doing these from the start were these now a regular thing yes yeah, so George the sixth had continued George the fifth's practice of the radio broadcast yeah but it's in 1957 it's the first time ever that you actually See it, yeah, quirky. Okay, and uh, she specifically addresses this idea of this as a new Elizabethan age and the connection between her and her predecessor. Does she? I thought that was a new invention. No, she actually speaks of it, and we can hear what she said okay. about her predecessor. Some people have expressed the hope that my reign may mark a new Elizabethan age. Frankly, I do not myself feel at all like my great Tudor forebear who was blessed with neither husband nor children, who ruled as a despot and was never able to leave her native shores. Slap down from QE2 to QE1 there. Wow. <laughs> wow, she was saying she was evil and imprisoned. And barren. <laughs> yeah, crikey. Um, however, there was quite a nice story that linked them together. There's one time um, in more recent years where uh, Elizabeth II was visiting a school and the history teacher there timed it perfectly for the lesson um, to coincide with the visit. Uh, so she was pointing out a photo on the wall and saying, this is Elizabeth I, door opens, and this is Elizabeth II. No. Was there, so everyone was in cahoots? Well, the, the kids didn't know. But everyone had planned it? I don't know if the Queen had planned it, but the teacher That's had obviously fantastic. thought I, that I'm going to be a legend for all time. That is amazing. What a teacher. Apparently Elizabeth then looked at the picture of Elizabeth I and said, she's dressed very grandly there, isn't she? That dress is not very practical. I don't think she could have got through many doors, do you? Well, she just ran with it. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. After becoming Queen, quite soon after that, they then left the country. Yeah. And went on a tour of the Commonwealth. They've been doing a lot of these, it seems. Mm. This is in 1953 to 54. It's before TV is particularly widespread, particularly okay, elsewhere in the world, so you really need to be seen in person. So they flew, uh, Philip and Elizabeth, this is, without uh, Charles or Princess Anne, who were quite young children. But When were they born? Forty. Charles, is he 40? Oh, he's 48, because he just turned 65. Oh, he has, yeah. Yeah, so he's about sort of five and six at this point. Okay. Uh, but yes, they fly to Bermuda and Jamaica, sail through the Panama Canal into the Pacific, and then they go on to Fiji, Tonga, New Zealand, and Australia. 
amongst various other places. Okay. It's a big old tour. Australia, she's the first reigning monarch ever to visit. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, spent two months travelling something like 2,500 miles by train, 10,000 miles flying, about 900 miles by car. And uh, something like three quarters of the adult population of Australia saw her, actually, with their own eyes. Well, that's a massive engagement result. <laughs> that's brilliant. In New Zealand, something like two thirds of the population saw her. Wow. Including, it's an amazing thing, a um, small town called Bluff. Mm. So, at the time, a population under 3,000. But when she went through the town, there were over 200,000 people in the town. Wow. Just because it was one of the stopping points that they yeah. could actually see. Crikey. I bet not everyone got to see her, too, with that many people. You'd have to... They're just one tall person at the front yeah. and everybody else behind. They should just have a... Uh, everyone in the queue and put her on a trolley and wheel past <laughs> rather than <laughs> jostling along. Um, came back on uh, Britannia to be greeted on the Thames by a cheering crowds 173 days later. So about sort of six months mm. on tour. Or something like that. Now, in the 1950s, at this point, she's been very popular, but not everything is easy. There are some troubles, and there are some troubles at home mm-hmm. with regards to the name. Yeah? Her name, specifically. Elizabeth? Well, it's a matter of dynasty, because Elizabeth is a Windsor, of course, Yeah. and she has children. Yeah. But, as we saw with Victoria and others... When a woman marries a man, it's the man who then determines the royal yeah, house. Yeah. So Philip is thinking, well, obviously our children will be Mountbatten's. So it's, they will be a new dynasty, in effect. Charles will be the first Mountbatten king. Right. And his uncle, uh, Lord Mountbatten, was quite boastful about this and saying, oh, I've sired the new royal dynasty and all this sort of stuff. Queen Mary and Winston Churchill are rather horrified when they hear about his boasts. Queen Mary, come uh, Queen's mum. No, no, Queen Mary, a uh, grandmother. Grandmother, of course, yeah. Oh, um, so Elizabeth II was dis- uh, persuaded to sign a royal proclamation that her descendants would be Windsor, and not Mountbatten. And persuaded by Churchill and... Uh... The establishment, really. The establishment, mm. right. So Philip wasn't particularly happy about this. Is but it, she didn't mind, initially. Uh, well, she could probably see both. She's quite a traditionalist. Yeah. But she'd been torn, because there were two traditions that odds with each other yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, but Philip's not very happy about this. He said, I'm just a bloody amoeba. And the only man in the country not allowed to give his name to his children. Mm, yeah, but he's the only, only man in the country married to the Queen too. Well, that's true. <laughs> so we hope. We'll come yeah. back to Scandal, of course, uh-huh. see if there's any big amigo. Bible. <laughs> yes. uh, I'd like to make it clear that that is definitely not something we'll be returning to. God save the Queen. <laughs> um, so they've had a bit of issues there, and then the press start trying to stir up stuff. Once she actually is Queen, that was uh, probably just before or maybe just after. 1956-1957, Philip spent six weeks uh, on tour by himself. So he went off without God, can you imagine that now? No way he'd be allowed. Well, it didn't go down very well at the time, so <laughs> there was lots of speculation that there was a rift in the marriage. Oh, right. And that they were deliberately spending time apart. Buckingham Palace actually took the unusual step of issuing an official denial. Mm. I think it's something they probably don't do now, because they realise that actually that just... Yeah, that looks worse. But there weren't any serious problems. Actually, when Philip returned and had been pictured with a beard, because mm. he hadn't been shaving, um, when they when he came back and met them on ship, all the rest of the family were greeting him with fake beards on. So oh, like right. the Queen and Charles and Anne and no. all, all their fake beards. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> but all of this did kind of change his outlook, so he used to be much more outgoing and cheerful. Um, well, I'm sure he still is. Mm-hmm. In private, <laughs> yep. but very suspicious about the press, always expecting to be misunderstood. So the royal family really have a strong distaste for the media, 
which yeah. always sort of its roots start in this period in the 50s. And each generation since has continued mm. that. End of deference. Um, so he complained that the press have turned us into a soap opera. Mm. The royal family. Yeah. Sounds good. It does. <laughs> and it's not just themselves and Philip that causes the uh, the big press stories in this period. Princess Margaret. Yes. Here we go. Something of a, a tabloid mm-hmm. uh, dream. Actually, uh, surprising actually initially that the big story with Margaret is not one of what we would consider real scandal and mm. bad stuff, but actually love. Right. She falls in love with uh, a man, Group Captain Peter Townsend, who is this handsome fighter pilot from the Second World War, being an equerry to her father and the Queen's father, George VI. He must be a lot older. Well, 16 years her senior. Right. So he's quite a bit older. Um, a divorcee. Uh-oh. He was the innocent party, mm. but nevertheless... I like the church elders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ahead of Elizabeth's coronation ceremony, Margaret told the Queen that she wanted to marry him. Yeah. So the Queen knew that trouble was brewing. And also outside the Abbey, whilst they were getting ready to go in, she was seen quite tenderly flicking some fluff from the uniform of group captain Peter Townsend oh now if ever there's a short sound of love it's the fluff flick <laughs> exactly good grief that I'm famous must been having a field day world press go absolutely mad sensation immediately controversy immediately uh, Lascelles who's one of the private secretaries told Townsend that he must be either mad or bad or both for because getting he... into this kind of craziness but, and this all stemmed from the fact that she uh, she was close enough to him to flick some fluff. I, not specifically the fluff flicking that made him mm. mad, bad or both, but the fact that they wanted to be in a relationship and get married. Mm. Charteris, who's the Queen's private secretary, said that he um, just thought he was naive, incredibly so. Um, now, Churchill was Prime Minister at this point, and of course this is still one of these things where you know, it's a matter of state, Margaret is mm. not next in line because there are more children but nevertheless she's the Queen's sister Yeah, it's not that long since the abdication crisis mm. with Edward VIII where he wanted to marry divorce C. Wallace Simpson so obviously Churchill is oh, yeah. obviously Churchill who supported Edward VIII at the time obviously he will have learnt his lessons from this so he reacts to the news what a delightful match a lovely young lady married to a gallant airman Safe from the perils and horrors of war. So he hasn't. He's straight back in there. To which his wife responds, Winston, if you are going to begin the abdication all over again, I'm going to leave. I shall take a flat and go and live in Brighton. <laughs> You're quite winning. <laughs> so it's made clear to Winston that actually mm. needs to get on board with this. Mm. The establishment won't let it happen. Senior politicians and also senior figures in Church of England oppose the marriage. Some people, some politicians threatened to resign if it was allowed to go ahead. Why on earth, if your career is a politician, <laughs> would you resign over something like that? Mm. They did suggest maybe it could be a civil marriage, so I wouldn't be through the Church of England, but you know, mm. civil marriage. But that would mean she'd have to renounce her succession rights and probably more importantly her civil list, I her Mm, yeah, because yeah. the succession rights is hugely unlikely anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she chose to wait uh, two years until 1955, the point at which she turned 25, and she could marry without requiring the Queen's permission. Which right. Still did technically. Is that from me. George the first time? Uh, third. 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 Uh, Townsend was sent off to Brussels on a posting, and Margaret underwent a tour of the West Indies. However, on coming back, 
and being asked about it by journalist Townsend replied, wait and see. So Ooh. it's all brewing up again. Oh, he doesn't learn that. He should have just said nothing. <laughs> Margaret decamps to Balmoral, where the press gather outside on her birthday, because they know that's when it's going to be coming along. She wrote reasons against doing it, it does harm to the Queen, and reasons for doing it, because I couldn't live without him. Finally decides not to marry him. Doesn't go through with it. Civil marriage would have undermined the Queen. Um, and they part company. Wow. That's Nin- horrible for her. 1960, she marries uh, photographer Anthony Armstrong Jones, who becomes Lord Snowden. Now, the Queen in all of this, sympathetic to Margaret, because they got on very well, but she doesn't really take any positive action one way or the other. She kind of pretty much goes along with the official line, acquiesces in when Townsend gets sent off to Brussels. But do you think she was the main motivator behind persuading her not to? No, but I, equally she wasn't. didn't really want to get mm. involved. Right. Uh, Cecil Beaton said, We felt sorry for Queen Elizabeth. She knew what was the matter and she didn't know how to cope with the situation and she was much too reserved to talk to anyone about it. And as Private Secretary Charter said, the Queen was naturally sympathetic towards the Princess but I think she thought, she hoped, given time, the affair would peter out. Mm. So it's one of those sort of early signs of, sort of that reluctance to sort of challenge some of the traditional aspects, the difficulties of the rest of the family, yeah. and the impact that has yeah. on her. She's going to be the solid ship, mm. and everyone else is going to be <laughs> rock, disrupting rock, it. Rocket that boat. Another thing that she uh, has to deal with, of course, is that her first Prime Minister is Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he's not in the best of health. He'd suffered a mild stroke in 1949, a more serious one in June of 1953. Many people had expected him to retire after the coronation, but uh, to the dismay of his colleagues, in October he turned, returns to public life again. Uh, 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 still as Prime Minister, though. Still as Prime Minister, pushing 80, suffered a couple of strokes. Yeah. Um, and not quite as on the ball as he was. And still doing drugs? I'm um, not sure okay. about that aspect. He is, however, definitely the only person, the only Prime Minister of sufficient stature to actually rebuke the Queen. Really? Um, yeah, so when she came back from her Commonwealth tour, yeah. and she was on the boat on the river, she commented on the Thames, look at this awful dirty river, to which Churchill responded, this is the silver thread that goes through British history. Never forget it. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't uh, a proper telling off, <laughs> no. but it was uh, still. I suppose she wouldn't expect to be talked to like that. Indeed, but she had a point. Well, yes, it was horrid, really horrid. Yeah. Um, when the people suggested to her, it must have been wonderful to have had him as her first pre apparently she replied, "Not at all. I found him most obstinate." <laughs> so it's a bit kind of like Victorian Gladstone, where sort of Gladstone would just lecture her, and as if she was a public meeting. There's yeah. an extent to which Churchill just rambles on on one of his monologues and doesn't yeah. really listen I kind of you kind of hope they'd get on because they're two such prominent figures in our history mm. but I suppose they both feel like prominent figures she's the Queen and he's Church and he's aware of it I mean I think there was huge respect for him and he had yeah. a lot of affection for her but it was just the fact that he was past his cell by day yeah everyone knew it George VI apparently had been intending to discuss Churchill's potential retirement but George VI mm. died so he wasn't able to and Sunni Tories felt because they wanted him to go yeah well. they wanted his job they hoped the Queen was the only one that persuaded him to step down but he was just far too stubborn 1953 however he accepted knighthood mm-hmm. so he became Sir Winston Churchill to which he said I took it because it was the Queen's wish I think she is splendid 
Did he persuade her into it? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> 1955, he did finally retire at the age of 81. Wow. Um, he was offered the Dukedom of London. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, it would Maybe be not. a new thing for Churchill. Oh, right. uh, but he refused so that he could remain in the House of Commons. I think Still in the House of Commons? Oh, yes. And of course, he's been such a massive figure for us in so many episodes, but he does die eventually, 1965. Uh, not before, 63, he was made an honorary citizen of the US by JFK, John mm. F. Kennedy, the first person to be an honorary member, an honorary citizen. It wasn't he American anyway? He got an American mum? Uh, half American, but he was, yeah, he was British. Mm. Spent most of his time in his house in Chartwell, but uh, he didn't stand down as an MP until 1964. Wow. That's phenomenal when you think about it. That, the, the, the Beatles are around then. Yeah. That's really recent history. 1965 suffered a severe stroke and he died on the 24th of January 1965, aged 90. 70 years to the day of his father's death. Right. Uh, His funeral was the largest state funeral in world history at that point. Unusually, Elizabeth II attended the funeral. She doesn't always attend that many funerals. Very famously, the dockers uh, on the Thames lowered their crane jibs as the coffin passed. Yeah, that looks amazing. Which wasn't something that was known in advance. It's just... Oh, right. They planned it in advance, obviously, but... Yeah, but there wasn't. Right. Yeah. Richard Dimbleby, whoever it was, wouldn't have been <laughs> telling everyone about it. As Charles de Gaulle commented, now Britain is no longer a great power. He was a right sword in the side, wasn't he? That <laughs> he was. Okay. He was. But you can understand why. There are a lot of challenges for mm. Britain this time, not least in 1956, there was the Suez Crisis. Mm. Uh, the French didn't help, really help that they situation, didn't. did they? Well, they, they, they were much as we did. Yeah. Uh, the Egyptian leader, Colonel Nasser, uh, nationalised the Suez Canal, which was vital for the supply routes of Europe's oil, mm. particularly British supplies. Eden, Anthony Eden, the new Prime Minister, uh, the French and Israel plotted uh, that Israel would attack Egypt as a pretext for England and France to be, oh, this is all a bit rum, why don't we come in and help things out? We'll secure the canal, first of all, make yeah. sure nothing goes on there. Thus they'll be able to take it back. Uh, initial success, but uh, there was a later realisation Eden had lied to Parliament about what was going on. America didn't support it at all. Eden's forced to resign, Britain's forced to pull out, and it reveals Britain's weakness after the war, after the imperial age. Yeah, that's a horrific way of messing around with people's lives, though. Mm. Pretending to start... Or actually yeah. starting a war. Mm. By false pretenses. Macmillan became Prime Minister after Eden. But then in 1963 he had prostate troubles, so he had to step down. And this caused a bit of an issue because the Tories didn't at that time, incredibly, have an actual formal process for electing a leader. How did they do it in the past? Just whoever was most popular? It's just this sort of informal thing that kind of happened, really. Um, So Rab Butler was the most prominent in the House of Commons, but Macmillan didn't think he was really made of the right stuff. Mm -hmm. So when the Queen came to visit him in hospital, he advised her, after doing some machinations behind the scenes to appoint instead Lord Hume, mm. who was a Scottish aristocrat in his 60s and in the House of Lords. So the Queen still just had to take the word of whoever was leaving? or who Well, at this point, because there's no other process, if Macmillan says, oh, he's, this is the guy that can command support, and the Queen says, oh, well, this is probably the guy who should be Prime Minister then, technically the Queen... The Queen is gets, just... She gets dragged into it, yeah. in fact. She's just appointing, but... It's only on advice. She could have appointed mm. anyone. I suppose, which still is the case today, but there's a, a clear system. But, yeah. So, what if he'd have died from his... Ho- he was hospitalised. What if he'd have died before we able to pass that on for info? She could have just picked anyone. 
technically she could have picked anyone. I don't, she probably isn't that way inclined to no, just sort of. No. Ah, that you. <laughs> but it's a bit controversial. It does drag her into the sort of political toings. Oh, because people wanted Butler. Because some people wanted Butler, and they saw this as being, you know, the old Etonian mm, sort yeah. of magic circle, stitching things up, and the Queen becoming a political pawn as part of it. Of course, she's still a young woman dealing with men of her father's generation at this point. Yeah. So she's maybe struggling a little bit in these early times to get that kind of strong knowledge of the political scene and how to manage it. Yeah. Tricky times. And incredibly, shockingly, some people criticise her personally. What? I know. This is the 60s now, of course, as you said, the Beatles, swinging 60s, pop culture going on, the appointment of an Etonian lord as prime minister, slightly at odds mm. with uh, the prevailing culture of the time, this sense of an old generation, old establishment. Glass ceilings being smashed everywhere, hopefully. Exactly. Princess Margaret seems much more suited to the age. Mm. And, you know, she's a victim of those outdated traditional classes not being allowed to marry who she wanted. The Queen rather seen as being part of the establishment rather than yeah. the new. She's no longer this new, exciting person. Mm. She's a bit stuffy and out of touch. Such as is said by John Grigg, who's the second Lord Altrincham in 1957. She is out of touch with the modern world and her advisers are a tweedy entourage who know nothing of life outside the restricted circle of the establishment. God. And Malcolm Muggeridge. Does England really need a queen? Dowdy, frumpish and banal. If, as I consider, such a social setup is obsolete and disadvantageous in the contemporary world, then the monarchy is, to that extent, undesirable. I know I've heard all this before, but not from a lord. That makes his own position a bit mm. shaky. And then uh, John Osborne, the playwright, um, sort of more focusing on Britain as its general decline, but described uh, the royal symbol as a gold filling in a mouth full of decay. Mm. So it's like the glitz to cover up the fact that everything else is pretty squalid and rubbish. Yeah. Um, mass observation, the sort of polling, early polling company in 1964, um, found that the public had positive association with the Queen, so she was kindly, motherly, unselfish. But they also saw her as being obstinate, cold, and with limited interests. So although no one uh, disapproved, mm-hmm. the enthusiasm was, only, enthusiasm was only really passive. So that adulation in the 50s is very much gone. Right. So mm-hmm. we combine that with the lack of deference in the media as well. Shaky ground straight from the start. What year is this? This Uh, is is into the sixties now. So we've had the Suez crisis for the world stage, the political controversies, Mm. the press, all this sort of stuff. Yeah, things aren't quite as rosy as they were when she came to the throne. And it gets even worse. One of the big controversies is around the civil list for the royal family. How much money basically the government gives to them so they can get by. Inflation meant that by 1969, the civil list arranged in 1952 didn't really cover the cost anymore. Mm. So they were going to go into the red in 1970. Unfortunately, Philip didn't really help matters in terms of the public debate by displaying what he described as his talent for dontopedology, putting his foot in his mouth. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's very good at it, though. He is good Mm. at that. He went on TV and uh, said... Oh, yes. (laughs) I don't know. We may have to move into smaller premises. For instance, we had a small yacht which we had to sell, and I shall have to give up polo fairly soon. Oh dear, Phil. Philly, Philly, Phil. Dockers in a Bermondsey pub wrote a sarcastic letter offering a collection to buy him a polo pony. Yeah. Um, but yeah, many in Wilson's Labour government were not very sympathetic 
to the royals. Which TV help. show is this on? Is this just, uh, it's just an interview? Isn't it just an interview okay. that he was doing? Um, the queen at this point didn't pay any taxes on her estates or death duties. She's the richest person in the country. Really, still? Because she well, because she's not paying all these taxes. You don't have money just growing and growing and growing. Russian billionaires coming in and all these sorts of things. Wow. Much more limited taxation than wealth. I can't imagine I'd be the richest person. As a kid, you naively think, who's the richest yeah. person? Queen. Queen. Uh, wow. You she actually was. Actually was. And the economy struggles in this period as well. 1970s. In 1973, there was the Yom Kippur War between Israel and basically the rest of the Middle East. Mm. They all just declare war on Israel. Forced the, pro- uh, the price of oil up tenfold. Mm. Uh, Ted Heath introduced a three-day week and five states of emergency mm. between 1970 and Had about one and a half million people unemployed, inflation at 16%. And like this. this is when you couldn't take more than 50 quid out of the country or yeah. something. Mm. So all of those rock stars like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles mm. were going abroad. Mm. Queen's the richest person in the country. Now I guarantee they're richer than her if you were for cash. But for tax purposes, yeah. they would have left the country. Yeah, 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 amazing. And in 1977, her jubilee, 25 years on the throne, there were real fears of uh, indifference from the public. The 10-year anniversary passed without any notice in '62. Town halls in Manchester announced that they'd be boycotting any celebrations. New statesmen uh, predicted a washout. And uh, the Sex Pistols had a punk hit with their own uh, different version of God Save the Queen. It's fun, that one. Which uh, NME said got to number one, but the BBC, the official chart compiler, said only got to number two. And they refused to play it. Mm. Mm. Widely but, suspected that it probably did get to number one, mm. but it was unseemly for that to be number one for the Jubilee. Yeah. And that's a, but that was a, um, a hit largely due to Richard Branson. It was his mm. record <coughs> company. And now he's a bastion of British business, though he too has just become a tax exile. <laughs> However, turns out the Queen's a little bit more popular than people are given her credit. Right. Uh, Grig, his criticisms were very much not representative. Um, she received many letters of support from people, including that one signed by 12 uh, teddy boys, with this sort of 19, um, well, sort of more 50 style, weren't they? Just sort of yeah. proto mods, something. Right, like okay, yeah. Um, and Greek himself was actually assaulted in the streets by members of the public. Who's this group? It's the uh, Altrincham, the guy that says that her to oh, the yeah, entourage. Yeah. So people, the public, actually assault him in the street for wow. what he said about the Queen. Wow! <laughs> so a lot of people take it quite. Uh, so, however outrageous it was, people saying things against the Queen personally, mm. it's far more outrageous today. Their response, the, the opposite <laughs> response. <laughs> yeah. um, so when it actually came to the Jubilee. Uh, about a million people filled the mall for a carriage ride the mall for a carriage ride to St Paul's um, all across the country community celebration lots of street parties and yeah it was it's always been um, hailed especially in the run up to the 2012 Jubilee as, as mm. a moment when everyone came together mm. but it wasn't quite true it seems there was a lot of people who were clearly not as enjoying this Jubilee well I, mean, I think that was maybe as like we see with later ones in advance people predicting disaster but when it yeah. actually came to it around 7,000 street parties just simply in London yeah and right. that's all across the country mm. so there's a, it's, it is I think it's a big community moment and indeed Greg Altrowing acknowledged these outward graces reflect the exceptionally steady character which is their most important quality through a period of fluctuating fashion and considerable moral disintegration she has lived up to her own high standards 
No breath of scandal has ever touched her. She behaves decently because she is decent. Spoiler alert. Mm. But so he he's come round. Yeah, but that was ten years later, wasn't exactly, it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So he's seeing actually that the dullness maybe is more exactly. a virtue than a... Mm. Mm. And she's saying a little bit more political nous as well. Uh, Harold Wilson was her first Labour and indeed her first working class uh, Prime Minister. But thankfully, he believed in the value of the monarchy, so they develop a very strong relationship together, and they're able to resolve the civil list issue. So he sort of sees off some of the discontent within the Labour Party and tries to depoliticise it, so he agrees a bipartisan Mm. approach with Heath and Conservatives. So 1972, they get a new settlement with the Board of Trustees to review um, the civil list um, and report to Parliament every ten years. So they get, they'll do it for this, ten years later we'll review it. So it's a bit more of an okay. ongoing. Yeah. They can update it without too much controversy. Bit of populism going on. 1963, the Beatles perform at the Royal Variety Show. Mm. 1965, on uh, Wilson's insistence, she presents them with MBEs, the Beatles. Right. Uh, one veteran of the war apparently returned his medal in disgust. At, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and Tony Benn, uh, sort of Republican Labour, um, and prompt, very prominent uh, MP at the time, bemoaned this sort of tactical honours system. And also the fact that the working class still had this residual affection for the Queen. Oh, I think it was incredible foresight, though. For the, mm. I mean, better the Beatles than potentially just getting MBEs for shooting people. <laughs> As you said, you know, nobody goes to see the Beatles because they've got MBEs, but the royal family loved the idea that the honours list is popular. It helps buttress them, and indirectly their influence is used to strengthen the forces of conservatism in society. That's probably true. It is probably true, but it works. Mm. And she herself shows quite a bit of personal bravery at certain times. 1981, during the Trooping the Colour ceremony, where they sort of go along their horses and all mm. the military and all this sort of stuff, she was riding her horse Burmese down the mile when um, six shots were fired at her. In pretty what? close range. What year? 81. I have never heard of this. Though later discovered to be blanks. Right. Who wouldn't actually have killed her, but she won great admiration for her composure and skill in keeping the horse under control. She was actually riding the horse. She was actually riding. Carriage. She used to ride the horse there at that time. Yeah, so right. she was riding, and it's all pop, 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 and there's a little wobble that the horse goes off, and then she brings it under control. Other horses come around her, and they just carry on. Why did they fire blanks? Uh, you know, just to make a scene. Really, mm. I think. Um, then in 1982, there's a man Michael Fagan who wandered into her bedroom. Yeah, that's amazing. Quarter past seven in the morning, he's wandered in, sat on the bed, holding a broken ashtray. Or maybe his hands were cut because he mm. cut it on an ashtray that he'd broken. Um, and apparently, it's a bit of dispute about what exactly mm. was then said, if if anything much. Apparently, he said he was going to talk about family problems and then slash his wrists or something. Right. I think I think he was probably just wandering around. It wasn't the first time he'd been in there. What? He'd actually be, yeah, he'd been in there before and just popped in and had some sandwiches and stuff like that from the kitchen. He just wandered in and out. Not the best security at that time. So hang on, he'd been in and out before, and this time he thought, I'll just go and see the Queen, might as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So she didn't even have anyone on her door? No one was on her door, Philip was away at that point, so and that, this was incredibly, because it came out into the press, this was the point at which it was revealed they didn't um, necessarily share a bed. Yeah, oh, right. Philip wasn't there at the time. But, yeah. but how did he know which bedroom it was? I don't think he did it deliberately, actually, I think he just wandered in, and there she was. Oh, hello. <laughs> I mean, did this guy have mental problems? Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Very much. Yeah. Um, so the Queen's there. She's on her own. She pressed the alarm button, but I guess nobody was sat at the alarm buzzer. <laughs> that hasn't gone off. Must be broken. <laughs> <laughs> Not due for a test today. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that at the meeting. 
Um, so, well, it's, it was said that she kept him talking. He said that they didn't actually say anything and she just sort of waddled out. Bottled out. <laughs> uh, but he was—he asked for cigarettes, so he was sent to a nearby pantry, and a footman came over, offered him a drink, and then overpowered him. And the police offered him a drink. That's one horse. If you like a drink, <laughs> 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 so when you said about the cigarettes, I thought you were going to say Elizabeth popped into Margaret's room next door and came <laughs> back <laughs> <a cigarette>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Soon leaked into the press. She wanted to cap down. It did leak. Uh, the diabolical security was uh, somewhat criticised, but again, she was praised for having kept mm. calm and carrying on. Carry on yeah. as she does. And some good times with the family. Things to look forward to. Uh, Prince Andrew was born in 1959, and Edward in 1963. Yeah. These are the only times that she didn't perform the state opening of Parliament because she was pregnant at the time. The contrast with Victoria, and almost yeah. never being willing to do it. Uh, and Prince Andrew saw service in the Falklands War uh, yeah. in the early 80s, which obviously wins a bit of respect. 1969, Charles is invested as the Prince of Wales at Carnarvon Castle. Very magnificent uh, sort of pageantry. There were fears of Welsh nationalists, what they might do. Yeah. Which seems an odd thing now, the idea of Welsh nationalists, but um, there were hoax and actually real bombs discovered um, wow. during this period. The BBC pre-recorded obituaries for Prince Charles just in case. Oh, that's... Dark. Mm. Uh, but happily, it was very successful. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, poet John Betjeman said, "One of the greatest days of my life. It was local and intimate, yet international. It was a family event, and yet for everyone. Mm. It's one of those key yeah. things that the royals have to get those big ceremonies that aren't too bombastic yeah. to allay alienate, and yet impressive enough. Yeah, to feel royal pageantry." Mm. 1971, uh, Princess Anne won the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Award oh, yeah, course, yeah. Uh, for horse riding exploits. 1976, she represented Britain in the Olympics. So, you know, we're getting some positive news stories here mm-hmm. about the, the younger members of the family. She marries in 1973, and then 1974, um, there was an attempted kidnap of Princess Anne from her limousine. So actually, you know, in the royal car with security people around. Um, but various men were shot by this guy who tried to kidnap her and when he told her that he planned to take her and hold her ransom that she could get out of the car um, was then quite swiftly told by her not bloody likely so and she, she pushed him away and then managed to get out and was helped by a member of the public she, the guy the attacker shot her security not dead but yeah then took her away in a car no so she was in the car yeah and it stopped or whatever and then he opened the door and said I'm going to hold you to ransom now get out of the car and she said not bloody likely <laughs> and then what happened to him she managed to break uh, get free of him and get out and then a member of the public helped her and then eventually wow. the police were able to overpower why isn't this a film mm-hmm. I don't know a bit of a short film probably well a cartoon at least Sea <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then in 1981 the absolute pinnacle of um, royal bombast and splendour and popularity is the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana Spencer. Oh, fairy tale. Cathedral. Happily ever after. Exactly. It was indeed described by the Archbishop of Canterbury as a fairy tale wedding, mm-hmm. uh, watched by something like 750 million people mm. worldwide. And Diana, hugely popular figure, Princes William and Harry, born in 1982 and 1984, as incidentally are we. Mm-hmm. 83 those, well 83 yeah, yeah. in that time period <laughs> uh, Poles had the monarchy more popular than it had ever been with Poles 
opinion polls. Oh, sorry. Okay, right. <laughs> okay, they're yeah. still behind the iron curtain at this point, aren't <laughs> they? <laughs> Maybe it was some kind of dream of what they could have. Oh dear. Why did yeah. we lose the czar? Ah, <laughs> oh, okay, with you now. However, as we uh, are aware, the 1980s and 90s would see a rather less successful affair. Yes. We've already seen this sort of lack of deference in 1950s, but they're actually the royals themselves, to a certain extent, open up the uh, the window into their lives. Mm. 1969, uh, Mountbatten and Philip advocate a fly-on-the-wall documentary, oh. which they take part in. And this shows the Queen at work, uh, but also her and her family at leisure. So you see they're signing documents, but you also see them at breakfast and chatting, having barbecues, going to the shops... Is it, they don't go to the shop like you know in Balmoral yeah. and stuff where oh I see in uh, particular shops yeah vetted shops yeah does this just make them look more alien well no it's actually hugely popular five repeats over the next 18 months something like 40 million people in Britain watch it which is about 68% of the population oh. very very popular shows her as a bit more natural a bit more relaxed mm. than we usually see her um, but there was something of an emphasis on this ideal family mm. which in the 80s 90s rather comes back to haunt them mm. it's a bit of a dangerous pedestal to put themselves on it also goes against Walter uh, Baggots who is this um, sort of thinking Victorian period who said about the constitution and how the monarchy should operate and he warned we must not let daylight in on the magic yeah, I don't, don't look behind the curtain exactly as David Attenborough at the time and said to the producer you're killing the monarchy you know with this film you're making the whole institution depends on mystique and the tribal chief in his hut very much making it something you can write to (laughs) (laughs) if any member of the tribe ever sees inside the hut then the whole system of the tribal chiefdom is damaged and the tribe eventually disintegrates (laughs) didn't want to do that for the whole thing but you know he's saying you know it's actually quite dangerous if you show too much you lose the mystique and ultimately you realise they're human yeah yeah what it also does is open up the floodgates for people to want more access. The press are just going to want more and more and more. And the yeah. royals actually, after that 18 months, they say, no more repeats. Yeah. People like this a bit too much. Oh, yeah, so it's realistic. If we thought that the 1950s and 60s that the press was rather less deferent, then once uh, Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, comes along... Oh, here he comes. ...with his tabloids, things get somewhat worse mm. Kelvin McKenzie um, at The Sun told journalists to give him more headlines and don't worry if it's not true so long as there's not too much of a fuss about it afterwards he's a lovely piece of work he's obviously. a wonderful man so they're, they're literally just making stuff up digging and for dirt and making it up so they can't do you mean the papers make stuff up well at the time different world now um, Donald Trelford uh, for The Observer 1986 said the Royal Soap Opera has now reached such a pitch of public interest that the boundary between fact and fiction has been lost sight of. It is not just that some papers don't check their facts or accept denials, they don't care if the stories are true or not. So this is a time when it, it's just they've got they let a little bit of light behind the curtain mm. and now it's gone into overdrive which means that when we were recording the early ones talking about I think was it George V all in the Fourth, he used to walk around. Yeah, with the fourth walking around, going in his chariot, kissing prostitutes and stuff, yeah. giving them a ride in his chariot. Yeah, which seems so alien now, but it's all because of this real eighties, late seventies, early eighties mm. soap opera. That st- well, that's when it starts. That's mm. weird. That's when it really gets to these right. sort of intense levels. Mm. Which even the fifties and sixties wasn't really quite this bad. But again, 
the family don't help themselves. Mm. In 1987, Prince Edward organises a special It's a Royal Knockout. Oh, that's just horrific. Uh, it's a Knockout, which is this sort of British show where it's almost awful. like a forerunner of Takeshi's Castle. It's awful. Where you just get people doing these obstacles, yeah. presented by a man who's now in prison for um, unpleasant things. Uh, but Prince Edward organised it, so the younger roles like Anne, Andrew, and uh, Andrew's wife, Fergie, yeah. Sarah Ferguson, yeah. get involved. Charles and Anne and the Queen. Yeah. Not, not Anne, sorry, Charles and the Queen obviously quite sensibly stay away. But the younger ones get involved. It was a one-off charity special, but they're all dressed in these sort of faux medieval costumes, leading teams of bizarre types of celebrities. Just running through mud all and sorts. getting knocked off their even, even like, feet. Even like John Travolta was one of the ones. Was he? All these completely It's just random, awful. I just realised like it sounded like the Queen then. It's awful. awful. Very undignified. And apparently um, Edward, in a press conference, um, stormed out when he asked journalists what they thought about it and was just greeted with nervous laughter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, mean, that, I can't believe they just left it in laughter. And uh, things don't go quite so well for the royal family in their personal lives. Princess Margaret's marriage to um, Lord Snowden, very tempestuous and unfaithful on both sides. Um, one of her, one of her rumoured lovers, just to show how rock and roll she was. The Queen generally gives honours, but it's the Prime Minister tells her mm. to give honours too. But the, one of the ones that she really didn't want to give an honour to was Mick Jagger. Right. And the reason for this was that um, it was widely suspected, stroke known, that Mick Jagger was one of her. Careful. Um, <laughs> Potential friends, Princess Margaret and Mick Jagger. Well, I wouldn't put it past Mick, but <laughs> crikey, wow! So, again, bit of a tabloid frenzy for Margaret in sort of sixties. Wow, seventies. Um, she and her husband divorced in nineteen seventy six seventy eight. Prince Andrew's marriage to Sarah Ferguson um, initially in nineteen eighty six seemed very positive. She was seen as bringing a lot of spark and life yeah. to the royals. Less so quite soon after that. She wasn't very well suited for life, as uh, Chartres described her: vulgar, vulgar, vulgar. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! And uh, they 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 end up divorcing as well. Nineteen eighty nine, Princess Anne announces her separation from her husband. Mm. So, you know, mm. stack of dominoes here. And 1992, we have what became known as the Queen's Annus Horribilis. Yeah. Uh, the 40th anniversary of her succession, Anne actually divorces and marries in this year. Andrew and Fergie separate as well. Uh, there have been photos in the Daily Mail of Fergie having her feet kissed. Oh, yes. By somebody yeah. else. Um, then there was a thing called Squidgy Gate, which is... Um, phone calls between Diana and James Gilby which were published mm. really some intimate behind the scenes and details. now we know that that was through phone hacking mm. yeah. yeah Windsor Castle uh, went up in flames as well in 1902 yeah. a terrible fire broke through there but it hit the Queen even more on a public level so besides the trauma this place where she grew up and had all these memories of her mm. father and whatnot. um it just uh, all that happened. The spotlight ignited a curtain and just went off, and just everything wow. got set off. It took 250 firemen about 15 hours to bring it under control. Damaged around 100 rooms. Uh, it caused about 2.3 million pounds of damage per hour. So 60 million pounds damage in all. Um, but initially, the government pledged that they'd foot the bill. Yeah, so we'll pay for everything. Public outrage at the idea that they say, "Why are we going to have to pay?" 
for all of this. She doesn't even pay taxes. She's the most rich, richest person in the country, and we've got to foot the bill in a mm. time of economic downturn and all yeah. this sort of stuff. So it gets a lot of negative press. Just but, uh, effectively just because her house burnt down. Yeah, poor woman. But the uh, the Windsor Castle's open to the public, so it was, it's a sort of public thing. Oh, is it open nice and As Daily Mail at the time said, why should the populace, many of whom have to make huge sacrifices during the bitter recession, have to pay the total bill for Windsor Castle when the Queen, who pays no taxes, contributes next to nothing? So but you never know where they are with them. Exactly, yes. They'll build them up, and then when they're done, kick them. Oh, God, they drive me wild. Um... So Queen then has uh, was making a speech at Guildhall. She had a flu, uh, had flu at the time, unfortunately, a temperature of 101 Fahrenheit. Honestly, uh, but she went ahead with the speech, and this is what she said. 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. In the words of one of my more sympathetic correspondents. It has turned out to be an annus horribilis. I sometimes wonder how future generations will judge the events of this tumultuous year. I dare say that history will take a slightly more moderate view than that of some contemporary commentators. So who were, what were those contemporary commentators saying? Well, like the Daily Mail, why should the populace have da-da-da? Yeah, she's had a really tough time there. Mm. It's quite rare for the Queen to really sort of speak out. She as... seems so frank. Yes. It's, yeah, phenomenal. Quite flippant. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, however, there is a solution. 1993, um, for the first time, she starts paying income tax. Mm. And the civil list was reduced. But importantly, the repair costs are raised by opening royal residences oh, okay. right. uh, over the summer. Huge interest, huge boost in tourism, raises lots of money. Mm. So technically, the public are paying for it, but I can't of their own volition. Before, until mm. um, nineteen ninety three, all these places were private residences. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I'm glad that opened up. That would be mm. a stinker not to go in. Yeah, but there's a bigger problem for the royal family, mm. and it's in the shape of Diana. Yeah, and indeed in the person Diana. It's not just a coincidence. <laughs> um, she was from an aristocratic, uh, the aristocratic Spencer family, so she's descended from Marlborough. And indeed, Charles II. Oh, right. The illegitimate line, obviously, because they're illegitimate children. Um, which means that William will be the first monarch actually descended from Charles II. Ah, because of. Um, because uh, of Diana. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, she's only 20 when she marries Charles. Right. Really? Incredibly young. Wow. For, you know, for all of that entailed, that lifestyle. It's weird when you see her at the time, she's so shy and. But I never thought she was time. 20. Yeah. How old was Charles? Uh, so that was 1981, and we just said he was born, born in 48. Yeah. 48, 68, 78, 88. <laughs> he was 33. 33. So he was 13 years older. Mm. Mm. His aunt taught him one or two things then. Yes, indeed. Um, Charles was actually quite ambivalent about getting engaged until Philip put his foot down and insisted that he settled the matter one way or the other. Mm. Um, Diana rightly suspected he was still in love with Camilla Parker Bowles. Mm. It was unusual though for him to be not be engaged by thirty-three, isn't it? As an heir. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit late, mm. which is why he had to hurry up and do the deed. Diana quickly became a media darling, instantly overshadows Charles. Um, but after the birth of the princes, the relationship breaks down, and by the early nineteen nineties, it's completely 
fallen apart. So Charles, Charles has gone back to Camilla. Diana starts an affair with Major James Hewitt. Leak conversation, so he had Squidgy Gate, and there was mm. also Camilla Gate with Charles mm. and Camilla. That, again, was leaked. Huge embarrassment in 1992. In December of that year, John Major, the Prime Minister, announced a formal separation of the couple. Mm. So the royal fairy tale that made everything so popular is now falling apart. 1992, Andrew Morton published Diana, Her True Story, um, which Diana denied to Philip that she'd had any involvement with this book, but um, actually she'd given her story through an intermediary. So she'd given lots of details about all that was going on. This causes a sensation. In 1994, Charles had a TV interview with Jonathan Dimbleby in which he admitted to having had an affair with Camilla since 1986 and uh, admitted that the marriage had irretrievably broken down. And he also he also releases a book. Right. And then nineteen ninety five, Martin Bashir has a very famous, infamous interview with Diana for BBC's Panorama Mm. programme. Broadcast about twenty three million people. Um, she blames Charles for the separation, of course, with the famous line there were three of us in this marriage. Mm. Uh, spoke of her desire to be the queen of people's hearts and suggested that Charles wasn't really up to the job of being king. Yeah, I remember watching that. Mm. Yeah. So how? So she was only thirty at this time, thirty-two. Mm, but a much more direct and mm. confident character now. But this is a real assault on Charles, also the Queen to a certain extent. You know, she's talking about being the Queen of people's hearts, and she's this sort of oh, yeah? rival, yeah, popular figure. Um, Philip, Prince Philip, had extensive correspondence with Diana. Some of it was leaked, and those letters made him look quite nasty. But actually, if you see them in whole, they're actually quite sympathetic. But also, as you can imagine, Philip quite direct. But that's a relationship I had never really. Um, you only you only hear conspiracy theorists saying mm. it was Philip Trump that bumped her off. Yeah. But that's quite paternal and nice to have that he's mm. got this direct correspondence with her. So quite, some of her sort of closest friends at the time were quite complimentary of his efforts to try and yeah make things work. He was fighting a losing battle since eighty six. He was fighting a, a losing battle. Queen was devastated the impact this was having on the monarchy, so the popularity now has really gone down. It's, it's the lowest ebb probably since you know the Regency or when Victoria was in her wow. worst of her grieving stage. And of course, when we take into account the 1992 and the Winter Fire and all this, all these divorces, and yeah. then this one is just uh, so sordid. All the affairs, it's all on the front page of the tabloids. Mm. General feeling of change in the air as well with 97 coming up. That mm. dangerous time to be having low. The establishment is not held in high esteem at this point, um, as opposed to the rest of the time. When (laughs) we're all subservient. (laughs) So subservient. Um, And you're particularly upset the way Diana and Charles are speaking of everything so publicly. It goes Mm. completely against everything that she stood for, and indeed George VI, George V, public face of monarchy, but you keep stuff back. But now it's all out in the open, and her children or children are actually putting it out there themselves. Mm rather than it being all just discovered. Yeah. So completely alien to her. Um, she was also very hurt when Diana apparently would said that she'd keep the children away from Buckingham Palace to protect them. Right, because so she just, can't do the job. Yeah, some mm. corruption from the royals. After the Bashir interview, the Queen felt things had to stop, so she actually gets involved at this point, and consults with John Major, the Prime Minister, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, and uh, wrote to what Charles. What's he got to do? What was he doing? Well, it's divorce, isn't it? Again. Oh, I see. I thought she went for information. Like, what should I do? <laughs> what have you heard? <laughs> yeah. What's the dirt? <laughs> um, and then she wrote to Charles and Diana saying that divorce would be desirable. So she's basically saying enough is enough. 
time to end it. She wrote to mm-hmm. Diana. And you know, Charles, both of them really. Addressed both of them and said, time wow. to put a stop to Imagine, this. I wonder if she'd send an email these days. Hmm. So, 1996, divorce is finalised. Diana ceases to be Her Royal Highness, mm. but is still Princess of Wales. After the divorce, Diana, um, and certainly after this point, she's seen as a very highly strung individual, probably not well suited to the, the demands of the royals and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, suffered from bulimia and various nervous afflictions in this period, increasingly paranoid about the media. Um, which, uh, to be fair, was probably not entirely yeah, yeah. unjustified, uh, but continued extensive charity work, um, particularly um, around landmines. But again, she's always on the front pages, always making the news. Mm. Time when she, you know, sort of shook hands with um, a leper and yeah. stuff like this. So she's making the news. She's doing huge things. She's she's the global celebrity, really. She's yeah, totally. She was as famous, if not more, than Beckham, really. Yeah, certainly at the time she was. Yeah. <laughs> Though he was still playing good football. <laughs> Young and up-and-coming player. Uh, some accused her of being something of a loose cannon, however. She started trying to meddle in politics. Did she? 1997, um, Tony Blair claimed that she'd offered to help Labour and gave advice on them to how how they could handle the media. Why did she think... Oh, media, right. Mm. Not a good example, though. Um, and she believed that she could play the media, so she continued to overshadow Charles, but, of course, she then becomes a victim of it with stories about her relationship with Hazmat Khan... And then later, Dodie Al fired. Mm. So she's sort of trying to control the beast, really, but it's taking it's, some stuff, but then yeah. ripping and all becomes a bit of a horrible whirlpool. Yeah. Which culminates, uh, of course, on the 31st of August 1997. Um, she'd been staying in France with Dodie Al at the Ritz Hotel, uh, attempting to lose the paparazzi when their car crashed in an underpass. Um, paparazzi continued, of course, to then photograph Diana in the wreckage. Uh, That's sick, isn't it? Yeah. So great. Taken to hospital where she died a few hours later. Mm. Tony Blair commented at the time, this is going to unleash grief like no one else has ever seen anywhere in the world. Very much in touch with yeah, yeah. popular Who, Did he say that too, or was that just in his memoirs? Um, I'm not sure. I think that was a quote at the time, actually. I'm not sure yeah. he said that too. He might have said it to Alice Campbell and put it in his memoirs, yeah, of course. Yeah. Huge, as predicted, huge outpouring of grief completely took the country, the monarchy, everyone by surprise. Thousands and thousands of flowers outside Kensington, Buckingham Palace. Um, Twelve-hour queues from people to sign books of condolence and just blanket media coverage Yeah. at this point. Mother Teresa had died relatively recently, but I she know. just... Poof. Yeah, it was that week, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I remember at the time going, oh my goodness me, this mm. really is a bit much... Tony Blair, his speech, um, responding to it, said they liked her, they loved her, they regarded her as one of the people. She was the people's princess and that is how she will stay, how she will remain in our hearts and memories forever. And this very emotional speech is very, very quick. Yeah, it was always one for some points. So mm. I, I didn't hear your Tony Blair impression. No, I, 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 didn't, I haven't quite, haven't quite got Blair. Mm. Mm. Um, but that touched the public mood very much and he'd only just elected that at this point. He was yeah. a sort of almost messianic yeah. political figure very much in touch with the public mood the Queen wasn't seen as being quite so in touch with the public mood she was at Balmoral at the time with Philip and indeed with William and Harry because that's where they were at that time um, so they took them to church on their request but they were trying to keep them away from the public eye so they could grieve in private which sounds like quite an initial thing to do but obviously the media was furious yeah god I don't know how they demand stuff partly um 
of course, the media itself had been the target for public anger because yeah. of course, they were seen as having not necessarily the British press, but you know, the media as people well. pursued had led to this awful tragedy. So they're quite happy for the focus to turn to Elizabeth II and therefore take some of the blame off their own shoulders. So there was this sort of sense that she should return to London mm. and Buckingham Palace as if Scotland wasn't part of her, <laughs> of the United Kingdom and didn't count. So she had to be there, she had to be seen to be grieving in public, as indeed, of course, by proxy do William and mm. Harry. Mm. Who, of course, are, you know, just very young at this point. 14 and yeah. 11 or something? Yeah, something like that. Um, unprecedented level of criticism and a sort of press campaign with headlines like, show us you care, man, mm. and things like this. Real criticism of her for not being in London. Mm. Even the things like the flagpole, there's traditionally the Buckingham Palace Buckingham Palace flagpole was always empty unless the sovereign was present. Yeah. And she wasn't present, so nothing there. The media, however, stoke public anger at this lack of respect for the fact that there isn't a flag at half mast. Queen isn't there and the flag is not flying properly. Yeah. Do, do they, does she end up flying? flying? Well, has to address all this. So the 5th of September, which is the day before the funeral, the royal family do return to London. Initially, when with, you know, thousands and thousands all mm. around with all the flowers initially the car drove in and it was just silence as it came in but gradually hand clap starts because he had with the boys in there as well oh, yeah and the boys yeah. in there as well yeah um, gradually hand clap broke out very tense atmosphere for um, when they did the walkabout meeting mm. everybody's apparently there was quite a strong police presence and indeed the police actually requested that there would be army personnel there in the background just in case things got ugly Right. So it's this real tension of sort of this sort of almost unprecedented public feeling. Yeah. Anti feeling. I'm not quite sure how it's going to go. You feel it'd been a bit harsh if they'd sort of really started booing yeah, the William Queen's and Harry because well, they were there as well having to yeah. go around and shake people's hands to be seen to grieve. Oh, in public poor as well. kids. All he wants to do is curl up and play his snares and cry. Hmm. So that day, uh, on returning, the Queen made an address, a special address to the nation. Um, and basically addresses all of this criticism and it tells everybody what's what. Mm. This is BBC One. Now we go live to Buckingham Palace for a tribute from Her Majesty the Queen. Since last Sunday's dreadful news, we have seen throughout Britain and around the world an overwhelming expression of sadness at Diana's death. We have all been trying in our different ways to cope. It is not easy to express a sense of loss, since the initial shock is often succeeded by a mixture of other feelings, disbelief, incomprehension, anger, and concern for those who remain. We have all felt those emotions in these last few days. So what I say to you now, as your queen and as a grandmother, I say from my heart, First, I want to pay tribute to Diana myself. She was an exceptional and gifted human being. In good times and bad, she never lost her capacity to smile and laugh, nor to inspire others with her warmth and kindness. I admired and respected her for her energy and commitment to others, and especially for her devotion to her two boys. 
This week at Balmoral, we have all been trying to help William and Harry come to terms with the devastating loss that they and the rest of us have suffered. No one who knew Diana will ever forget her. Millions of others who never met her, but felt they knew her, will remember her. I, for one, believe there are lessons to be drawn from her life and from the extraordinary and moving reaction to her death. I share in your determination to cherish her memory. May those who died rest in peace. And may we, each and every one of us, thank God for someone who made many, many people happy. Again, being saying that his, as a grandmother mm. is very queen-like. There's a lot of specula- <clears throat> speculation as to whether that was a line given by it Alistair sounds Campbell. Sounds very Blairite, or, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Blair. But they've they've said not, and they've said it completely written by her. But that speech is very important. It does turn the public mood back around again. Mm. It does the job? Okay, she's back on the situation. horse. Back on the horse. So there's a national public funeral rather than a state funeral. Right. Though, like with Thatcher recently, there's no real yeah. difference actually looking at it. Something like three million people in London lining the mm. processional route. It was watched by about 32 million people in Britain on TV, which is second only to the World Cup final in 1966. Really? More than Live <clears throat> Aid and Live Aid? Yeah. Wow. Watched by more than two billion people worldwide. That must be equal to Live Aid and Live Aid. Yeah. Wow. Um, William apparently uncertain about whether or not to walk behind the coffin because he had Charles, uh, <clears throat> Prince Philip, Harry, and mm. um, Earl Spencer yeah. all walked behind it. Um, but Philip apparently persuaded him, saying, "If you don't walk, I think you'll regret it later. If I walk, will you walk with me?" Oh, he's and walk off together. And uh, the Queen bowed to the coffin, which usually she only bows to the cenotaph. Really? Not yeah. even other heads of state? I suppose they shake hands. They're equals. That's, yeah, an incredible bot fast, isn't it? Mm. From really hoping she should go away as a problem mm. to bowing to her. Wow. And things get rather better from that point on. Mm. Um, it's not, it's a horrible thing to say, but in a way it did, and this is where the conspiracy theories come in, it did make things a bit easier. Mm. with Diana not being there because there wasn't this sort of opposing yeah. character yeah. that stood against them um, so in 2002 Queen has another jubilee coming up oh, golden jubilee yeah. uh, but 2002 was not an easy year for the Queen mm. before this point things for Princess Margaret have been very difficult since her divorce she, as we said she had been easy ta- uh, fodder for the tabloids and the gossip columnists um, had, and had also become quite unpopular once that sort of early lustre Oh, right. This useful figure has gone. She's now seen to have been quite selfish, quite snobbish. Uh, I think both of which probably are true. Indeed, Margaret herself once said, it was inevitable when there are two sisters and one is uh, one is the queen, who must be the source of honour and all that is good, while the other must be the focus of the most creative malice, the evil sister. Mm. So she's sort of almost... Evil? Well, she, in comparison, yeah. she's just been pigeonholed right. in this way, and she's sort of almost living up to that. Or maybe she'd just justify. But her health is very poor. She smoked something like 60 cigarettes a day. Wowzers. Only gave up in 1993 after a bout of pneumonia. Um, 1985, she had part of her left lung removed, like her father, George VI. Yes. Also a big smoker. 1998, suffered a mild stroke um, and then suffered severe scalding on um, her feet after a bathroom accident, which limits her mobility. Mm. 
and then in 2001 suffered further strokes which left her just with sort of partial vision and paralysis on one side and in February 2002 suffered a final stroke and died aged just 71 God. so this is Queen's younger sister yeah last couple of years yeah. I didn't realise she didn't make it to the Jubilee I thought it was no, oh, it was Queen God. Mother yeah. mm, well also in 2002 her mother dies Queen Mother dies very very popular figure through all this probably the most popular Diana overtook her a little yeah. bit but Queen Mother always very popular continued to undertake public duties after the death of George VI uh, in 52 famed for her longevity of course reaching 100th birthday yeah. in the year 2000 continued to enjoy her alcohol throughout yeah. apparently Archbishop of Canterbury accidentally tried to drink um, a glass of her wine uh, in 2000 in a dinner held in her honour only to be quickly admonished that's mine <laughs> I've got that, uh, on Facebook if you follow us on Facebook there's uh, some regular photos of Queen Mother <laughs> she, with beer in hand <laughs> although Gordon uh, no what was it uh, was it Tancourage in her face no Bombay Sapphire she drank an exceptional number of units per yeah. day even into her hundreds yeah legend mm. um, she insisted on attending Margaret's funeral despite her failing health herself uh, burying your daughter's tough isn't mm. it I mean, it's, I suppose it's a, um occupational hazard when you get to 100. Yeah, But true. even so, it was before her time, Margaret. But then March 2002, the Queen Mother finally died in her sleep, aged 101, with um, the Queen and then Margaret's children at her side. Really? Mm. I thought she'd made it, made it for the Jubilee. No, she didn't quite make she it for the Jubilee. Make... Jubilee year. Yeah, yeah. But she didn't actually make so it for the So that's all by the bed? All by the bed. Charles wasn't there, unfortunately. He was mm. um, a skiing holiday at the time, and they were very close. He was quite upset that he couldn't be there. But again, there's a funeral. More than 200,000 people filed past the coffin, which lay in state at Westminster Abbey. And then more than 1 million people lined the funeral wreath. And, sorry, right, yeah, lined the funeral route. And then her funeral wreath was placed on the tomb of the unknown warrior, which was harking back to when she got married and she had placed her wedding bouquet on the tomb. Oh, right. So it was just a little, oh, little callback. Nice. Yeah. So there had been a lot of cynicism about uh, the Golden Jubilee mm. prior to this. Uh, many people were predicting a washout. The Guardian said that UK wasn't interested in royalty anymore. Um, government had only budgeted apparently £175,000 for banners in Trafalgar Square. Right, well. So they're really sort of thinking it's just not. Well, <laughs> worry too much about this. Still, they go ahead with stuff. Um, Queen and Philip travel over 40,000 miles in another tour of the Commonwealth mm. plane this time mm. a bit quicker so again the Caribbean Australia New Zealand Canada they opened the Commonwealth Games which was held in Manchester that year oh yeah um, there were numerous celebrations there was a prom at the palace so it was a um, classical concert oh that's right yeah Buckingham Palace Gardens which I think was the first concert sort of public sort of public yeah. concert and then we had a party at the palace which was a pop concert yeah so Brian May played the national anthem Electric guitar yeah. on the roof. One, one, one for the Queen and one for the public. <laughs> exactly. And I suspect she liked the pop. <laughs> Indeed. I'm sure. And it all finished off with um, the Queen at the party at the palace lighting a national beacon on the mall. Um, then, of course, your traditional balcony wave mm. uh, on Buckingham Palace and a fly past of every RAF aircraft in service, of which there were 27 at the time. Wow. Which ended with Concord flanked by the Red Arrows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very cool. About a million people in the mall for the party in the palace, a million outside the balcony, uh, Buckingham Palace for the balcony, and again about 200 million people watching on TV. Mm. So, you know, huge success, and it was the point at which everybody suddenly thought, oh, yeah, 
Yeah, we quite like the Queen, don't we? She's been some money for the country. And since then, she's been very, very high in the polls Mm. ever since, really. So then, of course, ten years later, last year, Mm. Diamond Jubilee. Yeah, that was a biggie. Um, She requested the public funds be minimised and the public not be forced to celebrate. Mm. So, again, there's still that worry that actually everyone won't care anymore. She has had experience with that kind of indifference. Yeah, in the 70s, she's probably Mm. just remembering that. Yeah. Um, again, there are touring. Uh, there is touring, but this time Queen and Philip only go around the UK. It's not travelling quite as much anymore mm. now. The octogenarians. Um, so her children and indeed grandchildren go off on tours around the Commonwealth. So you had sort of Prince Harry being all very flash and going yeah. off everywhere, racing Usain Bolt and yeah, oh, yeah. things like this. Then also in that year, of course, it was the Jubilee Olympics. Oh right, yeah, yeah. So it was a cracking summer. It was also the. London 2012 Olympic Games, and of course the Queen starred in the James Bond video oh, for the opening so ceremony good. with Daniel Craig, Brilliant. and uh, and then opened the Olympic Games, becoming the first person to open uh, Olympic Games in separate countries. Why? She'd also opened the Montreal Games. As head of state in Canada. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, a couple of those. And presumably the first person to do it twice. Must have been. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Uh, there was then to celebrate, as you believe, the River Pageant. Which, if you follow us on Facebook, you'd have seen our updates from there. You were there. It was a bit wet. <laughs> it was very wet. <laughs> and um, wasn't that great, but it was fun. The so, whole yeah, so we had fun. 670 boats on the Thames, so the largest ever naval parade. Mm. Um, about a million people, including yourself, lined the route. About 10 million watching on TV, but as you said, absolutely poured with rain. And the Queen and Philip were on their boats standing the whole time. Mm-hmm. They had these sort of throne chairs, but didn't bother yeah. with that, stood up the whole time. Um, Jubilee concert, so like they're partying in the palace again. The Queen attended from about 9 o'clock. Philip was in hospital with a bladder infection. Oh, yeah. Which you wonder, was it caused by having to have stood up in the cold and wet all day? Or, or had he thought, had he sort of had that day and thought, right? I remember mm. the party last time. <laughs> I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Stuck at this. He's but, come on. He's 90. He's not, what 90-year-old, yeah. after standing up in the pouring rain for three hours, doesn't want to listen to a little bit of Will I Am. Indeed. <laughs> so I'm Irish's bladder. Yeah, bladder infection. And then in December, she became uh, the first monarch since George III to attend a cabinet meeting in 1781. Mm. Yeah. So she went along, had a look at the uh, cabinet yeah. coalition. 2013 is where we are now, oh, of course. Oh, this is shocking, Graham. The Queen is still the Queen. And things were generally looking pretty good for her at the moment. Charles and Camilla in 2005, a lot, initially a lot of hostility towards Camilla, mm. particularly, well, not entirely, after, you know, after Diana's death, she's seen as the other woman, mm. not as good as Diana. But the Queen initially thought to have disapproved the relationship, but gradual softening of people's views, and indeed the Queen's views, that they were able to get married in a, a civil wedding in 2005 they were even in the same carriage during the jubilee hmm. yeah amazing first royal civil wedding 2011 Prince William and Catherine Middleton got married in Westminster Abbey with again around sort of 25 million or so watching the UK um, probably about 35 million saw some of it some of that 72 million live streams on YouTube because wow. we're the modern now so it was live streamed yeah. online people were watching it there thousands of street parties across the country again not quite as many as for the uh, Silver Jubilee in 77, but still lots of interest. And then, 22nd of July 2013, Prince George of Cambridge was born. 
She's got a great grandson. A great grandson. She did already have a couple of great grandchildren from her. Uh, oh, through uh, Andrew, was it? Uh, no, through um, Zara's older brother, Peter Phillips. Ah, uh, okay. Who was the eldest son of Princess Anne? Uh, but yes, yeah, so he's that's the first, obviously, in that direct line yeah. through Charles, William, Prince George. So Prince George is now thirty nine to the throne. Only the second time that there have been three direct heirs alive at the same time as a reigning monarch. Surely Victoria was on the other. Exactly, Victoria is the other one. So Victoria, Edward VII, George V, and perhaps worryingly for the future, Edward VIII. Oh really? Dun dun dun! What a way to leave it, crikey! All I'm saying, <laughs> and that's where we are today. I mean, it's incredible. That's right up to the present. Even I think I can't even remember if I had to, if I'd already started my notes and I had to add Prince George maybe to yeah when we originally started. Well, anyway, mm. that is where we are. That is where we are today. Prince George has been born. The Queen is still the Queen for the first time ever. I'm not ending the episode saying, and then, sadly. She went out into the street. Oh, yeah. Got yeah. knocked down by a double-decker bus. Reliable. <laughs> it hasn't happened. Oh, she yeah. is still with us. She yeah. is still alive. She is still the queen. She is still reigning. Her longevity is going on. Yeah, I mean, how do we score her? We'll find out. Here we are today. But yes, so that's the end of her biography. Next time, we will tackle the rather tricky issue of reviewing. Yeah, that is more tricky. Uh, and we'll have a, an approach that we'll take, which we'll explain in the next episode, mm. I think. But... Yeah. Until then, that's it from us. Remember to follow on Twitter, like on Facebook, email, etc. So until next time, cheerio for me. Bye-bye.